Um, Melva offered to be down in the nursery, so if any of the, the real little ones, if you guys want to take them down there at all, you're welcome to. And um, she's available for you guys if you'd like to take advantage of that tonight. We, uh, we started a short five-week uh, kind of a topical series last weekend, um, and I shared that it's basically, um, beginning last week is one sermon. So last week was purely just an introduction, and then beginning this weekend for the next uh, the three weeks following are other four points of the sermon. Um, our gathered worship time is really the application of what we're doing. So I want to summarize a little bit from last week um, and kind of bring us um, up to where we are for um, today. A couple things. One, we looked at the fact that um, God is committed to conforming us to the image of his son. Um, he has made a, a commitment to us. He's going to work that out. That's, that's his... Um, his goal and his will and his desire for us that know him to conform us um, to his son. And he does that in a variety of ways. Um, second of all, we talked about all week we are shaped and conformed to other images, other stories besides God's stories. Um, we're, we're shaped in other ways of understanding who we are, what we're created for, whose we are, who we belong to. So we talked about all the places that we go all through the week, and all these places have uh, in a variety of ways, speak into us what life is supposed to be about. Um, so like we said, whether it's the mall or, I mean, we, we named all these different places that we go, um, that, and even ones that are just kind of out there in the world amongst people. Um, and we call them liturgies. They're basically rep- things that we are repeatedly in front of, patterns that are repeated around us all week long that shape us to something different than what God is shaping us to. Um, and that happens to all of us. It's almost unavoidable as we move through the world. Um, all those places have a, a liturgy, and we're using the word broadly, um, a liturgy, regular practices and stories that over time shape us. And we talked about the fact that if our heart is like a compass, um, when, when we came to Christ, the needle of our heart that was supposed to point to God that was so out of whack God realigns it, makes it brand new. He gives us this new compass that points to him. But as we move through all these other, quote, liturgies of life, all these other places, they all warp that out of place. It just it turns other places. And we do it sometimes purposefully. We sometimes do it willfully. But otherwise, in just very subtle ways, we begin to think about life differently than God thinks about it. And that compass points differently. Um, and he wants to bend that back. Um, the needle is supposed to point to the Lord, but these things bend the needle of our hearts towards other things. Next, our gathered service of worship, and it's only one place this happens, but it's the one we're focusing on, is a key place to be shaped by a different story, and it's God's story. The story that we would say is the ultimate story, the story that's true for all people at all times in all places. It is the story. And this happens when week by week, we immerse ourselves in God's story. Um, so we come together week by week, and we reimmerse ourselves in a different story about who we are and how life works and what it's all about. And in so doing, over time, little by little, that it's designed to bend that needle back towards the Lord and, and move that back. And um, over and over again, week by week, um, we do that as we come together. And one of the best ways to do that in our gathered times is done by biblically informed liturgy, a counter-liturgy to the world where week by week we unlearn those other ways 
and we get relearning the ways God's desiring to, and then we, we're cooperating with him in conforming us to the image of his son. And so we've talked about the fact that what we do here, um, we want to be intentional about it. We want to cooperate as best we can to immerse ourselves in God's story. And like anything else, we, we looked at the, the backwards bike last week, and it just, it's just practice over time when we do things and they repeat them, not by ritual, not just by doing things, but when we're immersed in the same story and these patterns are God's patterns over and over again. Over time, they conform us, and you're part of that conforming process of making us more like the Lord. Next, we gather for, we talk about this all the time, we gather for expression, which we've been doing, and we gather for formation, our hearts being changed. And um, this particular series, we're, we're not ignoring the expression part, but we're really focusing on the formation part. A few quotes, um, I, I may have done these last week, and they may be different, but just to kind of help um, set the context where we were last week. Um, James K.A. Smith says this, Historically, worship has been seen as not only expressive, but also formative. Um, in other words, historically, the church really saw it as both. Somewhere along the line, it, it beca- it's, becomes other things. We, and even as a church, as we do, we always tend to emphasize some things because they fit, and then they get overemphasized, and then we get out of balance. It just happens all the time. Um, I'd say churches today are more, um, are, it's more common to be about expression would it be rather than formation, but both of them are part, are both important. When the people of God are gathered by God around his word and seated at his table, the sanctuary is the space where God is molding and remaking us. In that sense, worship is actually training. It's formation. If worship is going to be formative, that means we need to think carefully and intentionally about the form of worship, not the style. It's not about pipe organs or... Paul's mandolin or whatever we have, it's not about that stuff. It's not about style. Um, it's not the style, but it's the narrative form of the story that is enacted in our communal time of worship. Um, as we enact God's story through various things, um, that is what is formative in our life. He says this, gathering with the church is a habit we form. And he calls it a thick habit. He uses this word thick. Um, there's some habits that are thin habits. They come and go, and then there's these thick ones, these deeply embedded things. And that's what God is aiming to do in us in terms of bringing the gospel. And he wants those patterns of life to be deeply embedded, these thick habits, he calls them. Um, gathering with the church is a habit we form, and it's a thick habit, one that profoundly forms us. Years of worshiping together has formed all kinds of ideas about what worship is, who God is, and what it means to be the church. So for good or for bad, our worship practices are forming us in our communities and giving shape to what we believe. As a matter of fact, part of the, um, what grabbed me about wanting to go this way with this whole series is I've just thought about our gatherings that we have done. I've been here a while. Some of you have been much longer than I have. They shape and form us. And so it's easy to go, gosh, it feels right. It seems right. Things are going good. And we never really step back and go, is it, is it shaping us in any ways that maybe aren't all the best? Or are there areas that we've emphasized so much we've neglected other areas? And so this is part of that stepping back process and going, you know what? God's calling us to some things, a deeper level of things, in a, in a better shape, perhaps, that can form us in better ways. Um, a guy named Mike Hosper wrote a book about the rhythms of the gospel. He says this, A church that gathers each week with cold seriousness, lofty architecture, dense language, and grumpy people is making a statement about the kingdom. 
Those who congregate there weekly are being formed into a certain kind of community. Likewise, a church with smoke and lights and rock star worship leaders and celebrity pastors is forming a particular kind of community. How we gather shapes who we are and what we believe. And that's true of us, too. How we gather shapes who we are and what we believe. So to that end, um, we're taking steps, um, beginning with this series, to step more intentionally into a biblically informed liturgy so that God can have a greater environment by which to shape us, which is ultimately what we want him to do. Um, the liturgy has been around forever. It's, it's nothing um, sacred necessarily. It's nothing, um, nothing new. It's nothing complicated. It's been around forever. Um, and there's four parts of it with the, the core of it being the word spoken, taught, all this, and the table, the gathering around the communion table. Um, but all four parts matter, and we've got these four parts we're looking at. It's going to be gathering, the word, the table, and our sending. Um, and we're going to take one at a time. Um, by the way, in, in case there's this, um, any concern that, gosh, what's Chris doing? Is he doing something really weird? Are we going to do something really strange? Is he changing everything up? God's doing lots of stuff here. Um, we've been doing this liturgy forever anyways. Um, those parts are here all the time. They've been in part of us um, you can, in different ways in our church, these four pieces of the liturgy have always been here. It's nothing new. Um, what we're really wanting to do is, in this series, shine a light on each part to say, how are we doing in this area? Are we missing something there? Is there, is there more there that God's got for us? And as, we're, as we become more aware of actually, when you walk in the doors and we're more aware, this is what we're doing here. And this is what's taking place. As we move through it, we can all walk in that together. It makes a difference on, on the impact that the Lord can have as we walk through that um, together. And it bears, I think, a lot of fruit. So our first, the first of the four is gathering. Um, and that's the one we'll talk about um, tonight. You could think of it as call to worship, but that's kind of a small piece. Gathering is actually bigger than that. But we're using the word gathering because it's a traditional word that's used. I actually like the word inviting um, because it's right in the beginning. We're invited into God's presence, and that's what this is about. Every beginning communicates something. Um, the way we start communicates something. Um, the way God began creation, you go to the first chapter of Genesis, and the way he did it and what he emphasized communicated something very specific that God wanted to say about himself. The way Jesus inaugurated his ministry said something about what his ministry would be like. And so the way we begin things communicates something. The manner in which I begin my day uh, often lays the table for what the rest of the day is going to be like. And I know when I've started the day and laid out a pattern, that's probably not a good one. Um, so even that can be, uh, it starts things out. The way we begin sets the table for this hour and a half together. The way we begin our services makes a difference in what happens between 5.30 and 7 on um, Saturday nights. So how do we begin? Well, one common way to begin, um, and none of these things are, are wrong, because we've been doing this forever, so I hope it's not wrong. Um, but we, we say, welcome, right? Um, we're glad you're here. Um, you'll often hear if you go to church, we hope you feel comfortable. As a matter of fact, you'll have probably gotten a uh, brochure that says that. We just be comfortable here, and we hope that you find yourself and, and, and feel at peace here. And that we often say, we hope you have a great experience of worship today. That's often how we start. Um, th- we get these, uh, Cameron made these, but um, sometimes I get these uh, pre-made slides, like, like welcome slides. And how do you ever use them, though? Because um, they say, welcome, and underneath it says, we're glad you're here. And there's something about that. I mean, I'm glad everybody's here. I mean, we're glad people are here. 
Um, if nobody came, I, mean, I wouldn't have a job for one thing. But if, we're glad you're here. That's, that's a true statement. But when we say that, what do we communicate about our gathering? What does that communicate? Maybe numbers? It's kind of like we're doing, what's that? Yep, it's about happiness. About us. And we're like going, we're trying to do something. We hope you'll come, and we hope you'll like it, and we hope you'll come back. Um, Interesting, when God inaugurated worship service in the Old Testament, they didn't start that way. God didn't ever go, I'm really glad you came. It was, there was a summons to come. And, um, and there was a sense when people walked in, it wasn't about them. It was about God himself. Although in the process, guess what happens? God does something in us is what happens. And so um, I just think, I don't like that. Although I'm, I am glad people are here. Um, and it's not about having a great experience of worship. We would hope that we would experience significant things. We would hope that we would have encounters with God. We pray for that. But that's not why we're here, the, the primary reason we're here. Um, although when we get it right, I think we, enjoy, we experience these things. Um, but that's not where we start. Um, like I said, what does it say about the culture of our worship in that place when we start that way? Like I said, there are good things. Um, but here, um, we are here rather at God's invitation. And this gathering is first and foremost about him. So imagine a couple scenes. Imagine one... Um, you've been invited to the White House um, or the governor's. The governors have mansions anymore? Is that a whole thing? Um, somewhere that this person is like, that place is like the inc- most incredible place to be invited to. And you're invited to the White House for dinner or whatever. Um, we would do a lot of things, probably. We would anticipate it. We would ready ourselves. We'd arrive early, probably. More early than we needed to be, most likely. Um, you would be invited in and, and brought into that place and given your place as you sit waiting. And you would be sitting and we'd be waiting and we'd be watching for it to begin because something's going to happen, this, this key person that's going to be there. Um, we'd be considering the evening ahead and we're going to be thinking about what will be served and what will the host be like and what will they say. Um, and then that governor or the president or whoever that person is arrives. And what does everybody do? They stand. doesn't mean we have to stand, but... They stand, and there's honor given, and all the attention is there, and that person becomes the one that directs everything that happens after that. It shapes the entire um, time together. Everything else is forgotten, and we get captivated by the evening. If that seems too formal, um, and going, I don't want that going on at church all the time, um, there's, another, there's a more informal way of doing that, and it's actually just as significant. I, I, imagine um, somebody who's home is the greatest delight to go to. Most of us have a place like that. Somebody that, when they invite us, like, oh, I love going to their house. Um, um, the Abshires are a house that's just, it's, it's just going there. It's like a delight to going over there. Um, the Vocals house, sometimes when you invite there, it's got an atmosphere that you walk in, and it's just, it's like, I like going over there. Um, so think of a place like that, and you're invited to go there for dinner. And so you're going through your whole day, and perhaps the day was an awful an awful week. Paul said he had a bad week this week. You've got one of, these, one of those kinds of weeks. And, and then you're going to go to this place for dinner, and now you're feeling rushed, and you're tired, and you're worn out, and you're running late, and everybody's driving too slow, and you get there, and you come, and you get to the door, and everybody knows what that feels like. And you knock, and they open the door, and what do they do? They invite you in. They do say, I'm glad you're here. But it's a different kind of glad. It's like, you were invited here. 
and the host wants you there. And they bring you in, and they give you a hug, perhaps, and they take off your coat, and you could smell the food, and you hear some people talking outside or whatever, and they let you sit down for a minute, and they sit and talk, and there's this thing like, ah, there's this moment when it just kind of, the day falls off. And you're like, and then the host says, it's time to eat. And everybody comes around and they stand up and they pray. And there's something about that starting. And it brings all the attention into the right places. And it, it takes away those other liturgies and sets us in place for something else. How it begins makes a difference. Whether it's like the Old Testament where they arrived at the temple and they came anticipating and ready and did all sorts of things in order to be there. Um, they're invited uh, in the Old Testament. The first thing they're aware of was the holiness of God when they, when they arrived um, or whether it's like in Jesus with the New Testament, and we're going to look at one of the past where he invites his disciples in, and there's a, a sense of calmness and, and um, grace as he invites them in. Um, all those things um, make a difference the way it starts. The first part of our liturgy, the first shaping influence in our gathered service is this gathering. The word for church is ecclesia, it's the called out ones. Um, and we can think of it called out, but we can also think of it gathered in. Because God calls us out of one place and gathers us into another place himself. Um, And there's a sense that every time we arrive at this place together, there's something unique, not about the building, being together as the body of Christ. There's something about we're gathered in as the ecclesia, the body of Christ. And God is the one who gathers us to that place. Um, So gathering refers to all of us coming together, but it also refers to God gathering us together. the gathering is an invitation from the creator of the universe to gather around him. Um, and it's one that we should say yes to. Um, gathering, it's the first thing we do. It's where the host, which is God himself, um, sets the stage. It helps us prepare. Um, it's designed to help us um, cast off all the dust and the things that we carry and actually pay attention to his presence um, and it points the direction that we're going to go and shapes the entire context for the rest of the service. My calls to worship here are often a quick something, and we get to the song, right? And the songs are great, and sometimes they actually get us there. But not a lot of time just kind of waiting, going, who, who just invited us here? Um, where are we? I mean, we're in his presence all the time, but there's a unique presence when God's people gather together that he wants us to pay attention to and, um, and to focus on. So what I want to do is just very briefly look at three scenes of worship, um, and I'm just going to walk us through briefly each scene, and then I'm going to extract just some kind of summary points I get from these. I'm not, I'm not doing a whole thing with these, but just walk through. I'm not going to even read the whole sections, um, but we'll walk through them. So the first one was Andy read Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 8. If you want to turn there, you can go to there. It's Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. Um, a, a common, a, one that we preach on quite a bit because it's a, this great scene of worship, it's not a um, a corporate one here. It's an individual one, but it's interesting that it starts out in the year that King Uzziah died. Um, the, this this worship scene is set up by a reference to what's going on out there. And the time of King Uzziah was a great time. the The nation was pretty prosperous. Um, there was a lot going on. All the attention was on there. He dies. They're all wondering what's going on. It's like that's the most important thing. That's what everybody's talking about out there. And immediately in this passage, it, it walks away from that. It casts that aside, and it focuses here on something else. It focuses on God. In, in, a, in a time where everybody's paying attention to something else, there's a zeroing in on, we're going to pay attention to God instead. 
and he calls um, Isaiah to that place. Um, much like we're supposed to do in worship, where all the things that have grabbed a hold of us all week long, all the things that distract us, all things on our minds and hearts, um, God wants us, not that they're unimportant, but he wants to break us out of all those patterns for a while so he can reshape us and bring our attention to us. And your king Isaiah died, he says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. His train of his robe was filling the whole temple. Um, what does he get? Isaiah actually gets an invitation by way of vision into the throne room of God. He doesn't go there on his own. He didn't make his way there. God took him into that place through a vision. And so, and very much like our call to worship, God invites him into that place. And I get, I don't know, if, we don't know what exactly what's going on altogether here. I get the sense that in a little bit of way, he's outside looking in. And then as this passage goes along, you get a sense that he's right in the middle of it. Suddenly he's the center in there. And he's been brought in. But it starts out here. He's invited into this place, into this throne room. And he's immediately, there's the revelation of God, which is always where it starts. Um, who God is is just immediately put before him. Um, he doesn't get any preparation. We, we often do lots of some quiet preparation time, which I think is helpful. Um, I'm just not ready to just jump right in when I walk in the door. Isaiah didn't get that. He just gets there, and it just is like, boom. Just everything that God is is just right there on him. I mean, it get, catches attention. It's probably something we ought to do sometimes, just like a bucket of cold water dumped on him to pay attention. Um, and immediately you have the revelation of God, this, this vision and God's holiness. And you go through this, and he sees all of this. And as there always is in Revelation, there's a response. And his first response is what? It's, it's whoa. He, he sees a sin which is why in many church liturgies, we did it last week, there's a place for coming to the Lord in confession because when we come before his holiness, we see where we're at and that we're off track and we've got to wind ourselves back and there's this response of woe. And then God gives uh, more revelation as he, he brings forgiveness to him and then he starts telling him about his mission, what he wants to do and reveals his heart. And then there's another response and his response is what? I'm going to go. I'll do whatever you want to say. There's a, there's a shifting of his will. Interesting, what, what dominates this scene? When you read through this, what what's dominates this scene? It's, it's an almighty God, isn't it? It's just, it's just soaked in that. It's just that's all we're getting here. It's, just, it's almost unnerving. And you get, it's dominated by a holy God, and on the side there is what? It's a submitted man is what you have. That's what it's supposed to be like. That's what's supposed to happen in our midst. Second one, Revelation chapter 4. You can turn there. It's actually a pretty long section, and I'm going to read some of it. Revelation chapter 4. Much of it's similar to Isaiah, so I'm going to skip a few parts of it. But um, Revelation chapter 4, John's talking. He says, and after this, it's after these letters to the churches, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. And I'll show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit, and behold, there was a throne. He gets the same thing that Isaiah did. Stood in heaven, and with one seated on the throne, the almighty God. And then it talks about his appearance being like Jasper, um, and the, the 24 thrones, and, and the, uh, the sea is like glass and like crystal. And there's the living creatures here in verse 6 and 7. And they're all casting out. Verse 8 says, The four living creatures, each having six wings and full of eyes around and within, day and night, were never ceasing to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And it says, Whenever they would give glory and honor and thanks to him, the elders would all fall down before him. They would cast their thrones. This big scene. 
He's, he's immediately in. Verse 11 says, They're crying out, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and power and honor, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and they were created. Interesting. The very beginning, what does it begin with? It begins with an invitation. God invites him in. Um, I love that picture. There's this door standing open, which we have in Christ. It's wide open to the throne room of God. And the voice says, come up here. Come here, I'm inviting you in. That's what the gathering is. It's the invitation in. And we come in, and the first thing he's confronted with is the exact same thing as Isaiah, is the absolute unnerving um, presence and holiness of God as God declares himself. And so we get the same thing as in Revelation, as in Isaiah. We get um, a door open, an invitation, and immediately we have this revelation of God. The response he gets is he comes, although I, it looks like here John didn't have much choice. He just was there um, in the spirit, but he, he enters into this place. And then there's this continued revelation of God and his character and his nature as he sees people worshiping, all these different creatures worshiping God. So there's more revelation. And then if you read on in chapter 4 and continuing, what happens after this chapter? There's revel- God reveals himself. Here's, what's, here's what I'm going to do. He gives instruction. Here's what's going to happen. And John's response to it is he's writing and he's passing it along. Again, what dominates this one? Well, if you read the whole thing, it's the invitation, and then you have the lamb is where we get. Invitation and the lamb. God becomes the center. Um, we get invited in, and God immediately is the center of attention. Third one, John chapter 21. It's one of my, um, this might not feel like a worship passage, but it's like one of my favorite passages of scripture. I think I've taught on this one too, probably too many times, a few times. Um, John 21, the very end here. It says, after Jesus, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. And we discover that uh, Peter and everybody, they said, we're going to go fishing. They went back out there. They went and they're doing their things. Simon says, I'm going fishing. And they all say, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat. And at night they caught nothing. And then you know the story. At day's coming in the morning and um, there's somebody on the beach. It's Jesus. And he says, have you caught anything? And they're like, no, we haven't caught anything. And he tells them to cast their net. They catch their net. Actually, he even tells us how many fish they caught. It's like 153. Um, pretty typical fishermen counting their fish. Um, he says, throw it in. And they get this huge catch. And then he immediately goes, it's Jesus, right? And Peter casts off his thing. He dives into the water, and they drag the net to shore. And Jesus is on the beach. It says here, verse 9, And when they got out on the land, they saw charcoal fire in place, and fish were laid out on bread. And Jesus said, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. And Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, and there's 153. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast with me. And none of the disciples dared say, Who are you? For they all knew it was the Lord. And Jesus took the bread and he gave it to them, and so also with the fish. And this was the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Um, I love that. What's, again, what happens? They're back out in the world again, immersed in these other patterns, these other liturgies, and there's an invitation. There's an invitation, come. And in that invitation, when they come, what, what happens? God reveals himself. Jesus himself reveals himself. Um, they get a different revelation than Isaiah did. They get... The, the Savior who just wanted to sit with them, which is an, which is an equally great part of God. Um, Jesus shows himself, and they come. They, they actually, they run there. They want to be there. That's their response. 
And then um, there's more revelation as Jesus begins to share some things in response. They have community together as they share and they come around this breakfast. Um, and then the remainder of that chapter, Jesus actually gives them some instruction. He challenges them. He talks about some things and they're listening and they're waiting to respond to that, this teaching. Again, what dominates the scene? It's Jesus in the center. And it's a Jesus who's welcoming, who's inviting, saying, Come building a relationship to be with him. So those are the three passages, a few insights or a few things to highlight I just want to share as far as this gathering. Number one, God initiates worship. Worship begins with God. Um, All worship begins with God. He initiates everything. Um, I mean, he did it in the the garden at the very beginning. He He directed them what worship was about. As a matter of fact, the, the first disaster that happened after the fall was a failure to, to follow God's ways of worship. Um, and God initiates, and he initiates it over and over and over again. In the Old Testament and on the mountain, who initiates worship? God initiated it. Um, he set it up, and he told them what to do and how to do it, and he invited them in. And it happens over and over and over again. God initiates worship. It begins with him. Mike Cosper says this, The first thing we need to acknowledge when we gather with God's church is that the whole thing, from the entire creation to the very thought of gathering to worship the Creator, was all God's idea. We don't gather because we're clever. We don't meet because we figured something out that the rest of the world has missed out on. We come because God is the great initiator. He made the world, he made us, and he is the one who remakes us in Jesus. Our gatherings, our songs, our sermons, our fellowship around the table, all of it is in response to God's invitation and God's initiation. If we understand that when we walk in and start, it's different. I'm invited here. I didn't just show up here, but I'm actually invited here, and God's initiating something that's going to magnify him and change me. Second thing. Gathering pulls me out of the rival, litur- rival liturgies and the first step to being reshaped. Our gathering together, the beginning of our service, um, really needs to be such that it helps us disengage, in a sense, from all those things that have competed with our hearts and minds for so long. And immerses back, which is why I talked last week about when we grab ideas from other places and we, we bring their liturgies here, the liturgy of the mall or the consumer mind, we bring some stuff in that we just don't want here. It just shapes us in bad ways. So we come here, and um, it's one of those things that are just kind of like taking that deep breath and going, I am just, there's stuff stuck all over me that isn't of God. And, and I need to, to get that. If I don't take care of that till later in the service, I've, I've missed meeting with the Lord and what he has for me. And so this gathering beginning is a, is a way to, designed to pull us out of those places. Third, gathering our gathering time is supposed to remind us of who he is and immediately or immerse us in his life and to be um, put in a place of submission before him. Um, gathering reminds us who he is. Um, if God initiates worship and we don't pay t- attention to all that he is, then we've, we miss him. Um, we've paid attention to what we want to do here, or what we'd like to talk about, or what we think, rather than um, that beginning point going, who's, whoever initiated it ought to be at center stage right from the moment we walk in. Because it changes how the rest of the time goes together. Reminds us who he is, because we forget who God is all week long. 
We forget that he's almighty. We forget that he's sovereign. We forget that he's in control. We forget that he has his hands in everything. We forget that we're loved, all these kinds of things. We forget, we sing some of this, like the last song we sang before the message. We forget that that's what he's like. And so we come, we have to be reminded of that. Next, gathering begins the pattern of revelation and response. The whole pattern of worship is revelation and response. Revelation and response. And so we want to start with revelation, not what we want. And revelation begins by magnifying who God is. Next, our gathering time puts God's nature, his character, and his right of sovereignty over our lives at center stage. It does this um, in our service times, and over time of doing that, it actually starts showing up in our life. Um, it puts God's nature, character, and his right of sovereignty over our lives at center stage. I am not ready to hear anybody teach the word. I'm not ready to hear the word until I've got a submitted heart before him, or it just goes. It's like the, when you were a kid and your mother or father were telling you something and there was inside your heart there was no submission there whatsoever, nothing sunk in. It just goes. Um, and not that we come with that kind of attitude to refer God, but the fact is we are, um, there's all sorts of things, idols in our hearts sometimes. And we've, um, in this beginning time, we want to really let God take center stage and remember that he holds sovereignty over my life so that I can hear what he has to say. And then lastly, and there's other ones, but lastly, um, gathering reminds me that I'm invited. Every time we come here should be a reminder that God says, I want to invite you. I'm inviting you. That's significant. Um, The fact that these scenes of worship, God actually says, Isaiah, I want you here in the middle of this place, a place where he thought, I should never be there. God says, I want you there. He goes to John, who, was all, who also had, you know, he's just like us. And God says, I want you here. I want you here in this place where all this is going on, right in the middle of the greatest scene you can imagine. I want you here. And so every week we come together, and it happens all week, we're, we're invited into him all the time. But this is a special time of gathering. When we come in the doors here, that gathering beginning time should remind us, God invites me. God wants me here. God has said, come, I want you here. And that reshapes us because it reminds us who we are and who we belong to. And that's good news every week um, because it's news that we forget. I was, uh, I've got a closing quote here before we, uh, I call up the worship team, but I was, um, I was trying to, I was sitting there um, earlier this week thinking, so what, what are, What's this about? Why, are we, why am I really focusing on these things and paying attention to these things, and why are we bringing this out? Um, I'm, um, because I don't see it, but I'm convinced that we're shaped by everything. And there's ways that we do things and ways that we come together and ways we worship and ways we think about the world that are not conformed to him. And um, churches create a culture, and I think we have a good culture here. Um, but you look back in history and you go, gosh, what were they thinking? You know, or that was very great, but there were some things that were off there. And, and um, I think that we have a naturally in this, this era of the world, all of us, um, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a tendency to see churches about us. I think we all feel that way. Um, in the best of places, if we don't make that center stage, we still are kind of going, I'm there because I'm hoping to get something. I hope, I, hope they, I hope I like the music this week. Um, all those kind of things that run through us. 
Um, and we don't say them out loud, you know, but they're there. And it's a sense of, it's, it's for me. Ultimately, God does something for us. But I want to see us, if we have an entirely different culture where it, when we come together, we really know we're, this is all about his invitation to us to come. We're invited in his presence because he's got something that's all about him. Um, and if all the other things that have to do with, I'm not even sure what they all are, the, the things that can muddy our time sometimes where we don't come away going, okay, that was something. Not because I had the experience, because, man, God was there and he was honored. I, we were able to honor God today as a, as, a, as a group together. That changes us. And in, all through the Old Testament, New Testament, whenever God showed up and people paid attention to it, they always were different. It always changed them. And wanted to bring attention just as to aim for that uh, more fully. Uh, this quote from, actually, uh, Brian, you guys can come up. The worship team can make your way up front here. Mike Cosper says this. I love it. Uh, it says, worship begins with God. It begins in the purity and perfection of his own being. It begins there because apart from his own creative action, there would be nothing else. It begins with him because he made light and dark and earth and sea, wide-stretching skies and deep-gouged valleys, and all of creation hums with energy and brilliance that God sums up in the understated word good. The heavens declare his glory, not as a conscious act, but as a testimony in their very being to the ingenuity of their maker. Worship begins with God because God begins everything, and everything that exists is a testimony to God's handiwork. Worship must begin with God because God made us in his image, a mysterious stamp that hardwires us to reflect and declare his glory in a way that's unique among creation. In a sense, all of his created work is one big call to worship. Um, and so when we gather together, at the very beginning of our time together, um, it's supposed to be a reminder of that. It's supposed to arrest us with the truth and the grandeur and the greatness and, and the grace and the welcoming that God is. So then as we look at the word and as we hear it spoken, as we gather around the table, as we, we share with one another, we do it in the context of all having stood um, before a great God. And each week, um, the invitation to come, and then there's an invitation to come to the table. It moves right into that, the table behind me and on the side. Each week, the service gathers around his table. Uh, the remind, he reminds us that he prepared a way so that we could actually come boldly and freely into his presence at his invitation. And even tonight, once again, he says, come and gather around and celebrate. Um, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. Um, we have a, the tail behind me on the side, and if you know the Lord, um, come alone or come together, which is even better, and um, gather around the table because his invitation is to come, to come and remember the goodness of all that he has and what he has done. Father, thank you for... I thank you for the little glimpse of what we get of all that you are. And that uh, day by day, moment by moment, and in, in these more special times of being together that you invite us in. 
um, you send out a, a call to come and you want to reveal yourself and your image and your glory to us. And as we pay attention to that, Lord, we're more amazed that you would um, give your life um, for us who didn't want to come at all. And so, Lord, tonight as we sing and as we take together, um, we celebrate a great God who gave himself for us, and we just give you thanks. Amen.